Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Loopold's Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, it is November sometime. It's in the peak of the deer rut, I know that. And we are here at the headquarters, world headquarters, of the Fresh Tracks Enterprises and the Hunt Talk Enterprises. Uh, let me see. Do what is it a Tuesday today? Today's Tuesday, November 13th. All right. So <laughs> this will probably go live by Friday. Um, but anyhow, I'm sitting here with Michael and Marcus, uh, our production crew. Dan was going to join us, but Dan's feeling left out because he's still got a deer tag in his pocket. <laughs> and he said that he didn't deserve to be part of the discussion today. So we're making him work. He's Dan is going through remedial mule deer hunting training today. He's online, Googling, researching, figuring everything he can. He's doing e-scouting with his Onyx maps. And he fully intends to shoot the, the biggest mule deer ever taken by the Fresh Tracks crew. So you got to put up with Marcus and Michael and me for the rest of this uh, enterprise, I guess, uh, this uh, episode. But before we get to it, make sure you understand that Leupold is who makes all this possible. Great company. Uh, been using their brand new Santium uh, spotting scope this year. Liking that. I got the 80 millimeter straight version. It comes in angled. Uh, really liking it. But anyhow, they support everything we do. Uh, you talk about public lands, hunting, shooting, you name it. And you can bet that Leopold's there supporting it. Also, we have Orion Coolers, which all you guys got Orion Coolers in the last month, didn't you? Yep. I did. Yeah. What size did you get, Marcus? I got an 85. Michael? You did? Yeah. What did you get, Michael? Oh man, I'm I'm getting I'm waiting for the right color in the 85. They're sold out right now, but oh. I'm gonna get an 85 right. in Dorado. All right. So you <laughs> went to uh, OrionCoolers.com, and I hope you didn't use promo code Randy when you went there because <laughs> I don't think that with the coupon codes they gave us that you can use the promo code that our listeners can use promo code randy and they'll send you this really cool tumbler because you guys already have these really cool tumblers already right that's right they sent us some so oriancoolers.com greatest coolers we know of and we use the bejeebers out of them uh onxmaps.com we just got done with our big sweepstakes with them you guys been using your Onyx stuff where you've been out hunting? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Marcus, is, Marcus guards his phone and his Onyx account. I think he'd leave the door to his house open and all of his firearms unlocked in his truck before he'd let you have access to his Onyx. <laughs> I say you think that, but then what I noticed one of these computers was auto auto logging on to my account the other day. So oh, I had to put an end to that. Yeah, there you go, guys. <laughs> we we could have strife among the employees here. But onxmaps.com, use promo code Randy and save twenty percent off all their app products, and I guarantee you you will fill more tags. You will draw more tags, you'll fill more tags, you'll have more fun. And there will be way more places for you to go and hunt. I just, I can't even get my mind back to pre-2011 or whatever it was before Onyx came out. Yeah, that, that app's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of become one of those things where sometimes where you just click your phone to 
and I just open it for no reason at all and just start zooming in on stuff. And it's like, I'm not even, I don't even have a goal in my head. I'm scouting for nothing. Uh, Marcus is surfing on X. <laughs> uh, and then we have our, our great friends at GoHunt.com. Uh, they just finished up their 30-day free trial. I hope a bunch of you took advantage of that. But now they're getting ready to start loading up the draw odds, and all the other information that you're going to need for the 2019 tag application season, which, let's see, January is kind of the start of it. Amazing. My wife came upstairs the other night. I was on my go hunt, and she's looking at it. She's like, already? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. She said, it's only November. I'm like, yeah, I know. But anyhow, gohunt.com, if you want the same thing that we use, which is the insider service that has all the draw odds, strategy articles, you name it. Uh, go out there, sign up, use promo code Randy, R-A-N-D-Y, and you will get $50 of free store credit in the best backcountry gear store I know of. And we're going to start doing some, Michael, we've been shooting videos while we've been out there highlighting things in their backcountry gear store. Sure have. We got to get those videos up. And we we got a few. We got a few more hunts before <laughs> we got to do that. <clears throat> but anyhow, gohunt.com. Use promo code Randy for the insider. And uh, one of the things that we said we'd do in the last uh, two months of the season is the folks at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, their members have been really, really big followers of all of our platforms. Uh, they called me and said, "Hey, Randy, we're doing a membership push." Uh, and we're really trying to get membership, uh, hit some membership goals by the end of the year. And so I'm asking you if you love hunting backcountry areas like all of us. I think we hunt a lot of backcountry areas, don't we? Yep. Um, you might want to go out to Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website, and it's backcountryhunters.org. Somehow in their domain name, they got rid of the angler guys. I wonder if the anglers feel slighted. <laughs> Anyhow, go to uh, backcountryhunters.org, and you will be able to sign up. You'll, I would strongly suggest you sign up for the rendezvous that they have. I think this year it's the first week of May down in Boise. Uh, there's a bunch of serious backcountry folks at the rendezvous yeah it's a pretty fun time yeah it's a bunch of good guys and girls and it's yeah it's fun yeah i've been to the last four of them i think they had me do a keynote at the one in spokane and when i got up on i was really getting animated and i said when you get them down you don't take your foot off your throat you stand on the throat with the other foot <laughs> and <laughs> I saw some of the board members over there like, oh, my goodness, this guy's going to incite a riot or something. <clears throat> Since then, I've not been asked to do any keynotes for them. So, <laughs> Anyhow, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, I know a lot of you are already members of that. Uh, they've got some membership goals they're trying to meet. Go to their website, backcountryhunters.org, and uh, check them out. Uh, I think if you do the kind of hunting we do, you'll find that them and their advocacy for public lands uh, might have a lot that you're interested in. So with that, <clears throat> we got a lot of stuff that we got to talk about because our last podcast, it, are you guys as relieved as I am that election season is over? 
Yeah, it's nice. You yeah. can actually turn on the radio and yeah. you know, be sane without hearing crazy political ads constantly. Yeah, every street corner doesn't look <laughs> like a billboard. Yep. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So we're thankful that that's behind us. And now it's serious hunting time. So since we have did our last podcast, we did a Montana general elk hunt with our buddy Bo Beatty of Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas and Lucas Burt from Leupold. And then we did one with Carson and Sean from Gerber. And then the three of us parted company and all went our own separate ways to do our our Montana mule deer hunting. Yup. And I shot the <coughs> littlest one. <laughs> I haven't seen it in person. Oh, well, Dan did some trick photography. Oh. It, yeah, he used like a big fisheye lens and everything. And <laughs> it's about a, th- I don't know, 12, 13 inch, three by three. Okay. Okay, maybe it's bigger than that. Yeah, he's definitely bigger than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had some, he had some weight to him. It looked like a pretty heavy, heavy boy. Yeah, he's an old boy. It's, but I don't know if we want to get into our elk hunts or if we want to talk deer hunting because out on our hunt talk forum, any of you who want to go and talk Western hunting, Go out to hunttalk.com, and we have this really big forum. And people go out there, and right now, a big topic is hunting deer, because it's the rut, whether you're a whitetail hunter or a mule deer hunter. When does a whitetail rut start winding down? Ask this guy. (laughs) Midwestern Midwestern guy knows, right? I would say around Thanksgiving time. Okay. At least in the mid in the Midwest. Yeah, that's kind of been my experience too in Montana. It's it's kind of done. There's like there's a lot of theories. Yeah, yeah. on the, on the old white tail rut. People think there's like yeah. a second rut, yeah. and then yeah. during the peak <coughs> rut, they all have the does pinned down, right? Yeah, lock, find lockdown. Lockdown. Lock, lock lockdown. <laughs> I call BS on that. All you white tail guys <laughs> listening to this, I've shot a lot of white tail, and I've hunted a lot of white tail. It's just lockdown BS. <laughs> just that bs if they're locked down go shoot them that's all the better yet walk up to them and shoot them <laughs> and i i get tired of that when you're watching some of this content and guys you'd swear someone stole his bank account or something <laughs> oh, they're all on lockdown today oh my all right now everybody hates me i'm sorry folks i just don't buy into it i mean that'd be like saying all the elk are on lockdown because I went embedded for the day. <laughs> so what am I going to do? I'm going to go home? No. I'm going to go find where they're, quote, unquote, locked down. But mule deer rut, <coughs> the biologists tell me the mule deer rut in Montana, anyhow, is about five days. The curve of peak to to valley is about five days later than whitetails. You hmm. believe that, Marcus? I don't know. I mean, I guess in terms of that. I, I believe it in terms of when all the most of the breeding's happening, but yeah. in terms of when's the best hunting, I I don't know. Yeah. I like to go, I think before peak rut. Yeah. Of all species. So you shot your buck on what date? Uh, I shot mine on the, November 9th. I think mine was the was it the seventh? Seventh. I shot mine on the ninth, and Michael shot his on the tenth. Uh, so. no, it was the eleventh Sunday. Oh, so. Sunday. Okay, so. The 7th, 9th, and 11th, two days apart. And were they all rutting? Yes. Yeah, mine yeah. was. Yeah. Mine was with four does, and he 
He was acting stupid. Like, <laughs> if there's anything dumber than a mule deer rut in the or a mule deer buck in the rut that we get to hunt, I'm not sure what it is. Mm-hmm. Although I did see some other big bucks that were not with does. Yeah, really? I, I saw were, uh, like yeah, the one buck. There's a really nice four by four that I passed that I probably shouldn't have. That huh. uh, he was just he was near does. He walked by some, checked out a different group, and then went into the trees. Hmm. But he was definitely not, you know, he was cruising. So yeah. he was killable. But and he was not, he wasn't locked down <laughs> with any does. And, <laughs> and so you chose not to kill him. Uh, yeah, I just. You wanted to extend your hunt? I Yeah, it was kind of early in the hunt. Yeah. I still killed one that day, but I couldn't pass out. Yeah. The one I saw was just too unique. Yeah. He's not going to score it. Like, right. I mean, no, like that's a really cool looking buck, Marcus. That's like a heavy bladed just a humongous forky on one side, yeah. right? Yeah. And then Sweet. barely a four on the other, but still really heavy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, what that what we uh we sent a picture to Craig Miller. Yeah. Who's on Hunt Talk? Yeah. And he said it, or I think it was a said it was a two by four. And he's like, oh, the stud buck. Oh, he knew <laughs> two it. Two by huh? four stud buck. <laughs> yeah, oh. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it now. I get All it. right. Huh. Hmm. Well. <clears throat> Yeah, that that sounds like Craig's sense of humor. So, Michael, yours, you were over in eastern Montana. Yeah. We can't tell where Marcus was. I was, I had a limited entry tag here in the Bridger Range in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, And in Montana, if you draw a limited entry mule deer tag, you're not allowed to hunt mule deer anywhere else. It's the, let's see, the fourth time I've had that tag. And the previous three times, I hunted it pretty hard. All three of those were before the video TV days. So I would almost make it my hunt of the season. And I never really saw anything that got me that excited. So all three times towards the end of our very long rifle season in Montana, I'd go over and shoot a whitetail. And kept thinking, oh, these bucks need to get a little older, a little bigger, whatever. And I don't know if they got any older. Maybe they got older by a day or two, and then someone else shot them. But, so, I don't know. I I think about Montana, before we turned on the microphones, we were talking about, can you have good deer numbers or old age classes when you hunt them with a rifle in the rut like we do in Montana? I mean, you're going to have less. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> But I think some, there are some there are places that certain you know certain places where deer can get old. Mostly on private land. Private land, <laughs> yeah. backcountry areas. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think I mean it's noticeable when you go to Wyoming or Colorado. Yeah. The age class difference. Right. Way sure. way different, for sure. But you you brought up a good point when we were having that discussion, Marcus, because right now out on Hunt Talk, there's really a lot of chatter going on about Montana's very long rifle seasons. We start in late October, and we always end the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Most of the state is open to general tag hunting. There's some limited entry units, the the one I mentioned here in Bozeman, some over in the Bitterroot, uh, a couple scattered yeah, and it's been changing. Tier. They had in southwest Montana a lot more yeah. 
uh, limited, in, like somewhat limited entry. You was yeah. a, it was a hundred percent success, but you had to apply, right? Type of deal. But then now they got rid of a bunch of those. So I, yeah. I'm almost uh, out of the loop on some of those districts. I need to look into them again. But. Yeah, and so you brought up when we were kind of throwing it back and forth with based on some of these comments on hunt talk of whether or not it's good to have such long rifle hunting in the rut and what the consequences of that are. You brought up an interesting point, Marcus, that the biologists looked at when the first 10 years or so when they had a lot of these units on limited entry because prior to 97, there was almost no limited entry units in Montana. And then we had that really brutal winter. Hunters protested, so FWP put in some limited entry units and your point was the result didn't show that much difference in age class in the limited entry units than what was there in the non-protected, just open general units. So, it's like how much difference is it really making? Right. <clears throat> at, at the expense of opportunity. Right. Yeah. So. And then I guess it would be the same thing if, because I don't, there was a few districts where they have, the the hunt end before kind of peak rut. Right. But I'm trying to remember what, I don't know, I'm not sure what the data says about the, those districts. Yeah. Well, so are those limited entry units, are they there to protect the overall, like, herd number, or is it to... I I think it was in response to hunters wanting some areas that would had a greater likelihood, not a guarantee, but a higher likelihood of growing older age classes. Okay. Some would argue that doesn't happen. Um, Some would argue that you could go and hunt public land next to some of these ranches that provide way more sanctuary than our limited entry hunts. And those are general areas, but the private lands provide enough protection that you'll find older age classes there. I I know guys who say that in eastern Montana, if it wasn't for private landowners, there wouldn't be a buck over a year and a half <laughs> left. Um, I mean, I started hunting over in eastern Montana the first year I hunted there in 1994. And... There's two things that always have amazed me in all my years of hunting. Or there's how much hunting pressure there is. I mean, it's been that way forever. But yet, every year you come back and there's still a lot of deer. Yeah, they may not be the the big old boys you you know a lot of hunters are seeking, but it's highly productive deer country. Right. And, and last winter was a super super hard winter over there, which. For you to find the buck you did, Michael, how many points did you have on the one side? Seven. Seven on one and five, five on the other, mm-hmm. not counting the eye guards? Yeah, not counting the eye guards. Yeah. Yeah. He's a unique uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was chasing a much smaller buck, and he just showed up. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, after a hard winter like they had over there last year, one of the criticisms has been that, uh, FWP never changes the regulations to let the deer rebound. Right. History has shown that the deer eventually rebound anyhow. Yeah. So, Eastern Montana is an interesting example because, yeah, yeah. 
It's completely general, and yeah. they hammer them every year. But people still pull big bucks off of public land every year. But is that because of the private land sanctuaries? Right. Probably. It has to be. Yeah, and I, I, I. Where this is a discussion about Montana, but I'm trying to let. I'm hoping the way that we conduct the discussion is people who live in other states can look at and, and say, well, this we do something different. Is the outcome any different? Is the end result right. any different? Because you hear people talk about, oh, you need antler point restrictions. Oh, you need choose your weapon. You need only hunting in October. You need, you know. Well, and yeah, I think you have to ask yourself, what's, what is the end goal? Right. Do you want to kill mature bucks is that the end goal or do you want to see lots of deer on the landscape yeah is that the end goal i mean i don't know <laughs> it's everybody has a different right that's where i think fwp did that survey and they asked hunters whether they prefer opportunity mm-hmm. to harvest a deer regardless of size versus harvesting a mature buck right and i think montana residents at least said that they would prefer yeah. to hunt and shoot a deer. They right. didn't care how big it was. Right. Indeed. But I mean, if it, if if not hunting, I don't know. Having more mature bucks in the system is going to produce more robust herds. I don't know. I I don't know either. Do you, Do you know what year that survey was done? Is it pretty 2011, old? 2011. 2011 resident. Okay. I think this is Marcus one. is looking it up on Google, and we every time we have these kind of questions, we rely on Marcus because his undergrad is in fish and wildlife management. So, if if anything is cited that's slightly <laughs> incorrect, we blame Marcus Hawkins. That's fair. Okay, <laughs> <coughs> and he blames Google, so it's kind of <laughs> two of the same here, but. One of the interesting things, if you look in the West, one of the states that used to be just an absolute home run for mule deer was Utah in terms of age class, deer numbers, opportunity. And things started really getting tough in Utah. And they've went down the road for the most part of a huge amount of the state is highly, highly restrictive. To the point where you wonder, is that good for the long-term interest of hunting and conservation? Yeah, they have. It's weird in Utah. They say it's a general tag, but you got to draw it. Huh, okay. They have general buck and limited entry buck, but the general buck you still have to draw. And you have to choose your weapon down there. Mm -hmm. And their numbers continue to plummet. Really? Going down and down and down and down so they've went to the most restrictive model well i guess nevada is probably a little more restrictive than they are just because of habitat nevada's always been restrictive but as far as change from where they used to be to where they are today utah is probably the most restrictive and they they haven't seen the huge rebound yeah they shoot some older bigger bucks but they haven't seen the numbers back to where they were. And then you look at our neighbor over here to the west, Idaho. Absent absolute killer winners like they had 2016 and 17. They have general over-the-counter hunting for residents. And residents can buy a second buck tag if they'll pay the non-resident price. Right. And they shoot way higher quality mule deer than we do here in Montana. 
but they in general don't hunt them in the rut exactly that's the biggest management difference that's the uh, yeah i would say that's the biggest management difference between montana and idaho probably habitat too i mean idaho right you drive through there and it just you look at it all you can think of is man there's got to be a lot of mail deer here right so it's interesting to think about all this stuff and people way smarter than me consider it and think about it and try to analyze it but montana we kind of feel like we're sandwiched by high quality mule deer hunting to the north saskatchewan and alberta went to pretty restrictive hunting and saskatchewan right now is rewriting the mule deer record books Hmm. every year they're just adding so many big big bucks alberta adds some but they they have a higher level of hunting pressure than saskatchewan but Saskatchewan mule deer hunting can, it's long, long seasons and you, they hunt them in the rut. Right. But it's highly controlled. You look to the south, Wyoming, Wyoming has excellent mule deer hunting. Even after hard winter of 2016-17. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. But again, it's like, what is excellent what, mule deer hunting? Because right. again, back to this FWP yeah. survey, it said that. 25% of residents strongly support being able to hunt mule deer bucks in the rut. And 30% support. So you got, f- or 36%. So so 61% either 61%. support or strongly support hunting mule deer in the rut. Right. And only 6% of residents strongly oppose. So, so but I mean, how much do we, ca- do you right. cater completely to what, the residents want? I mean, I bet the non-resident survey would look a lot different. You think so? Well, I mean, uh, maybe not insanely different, but then, the, I mean, just, I don't know. Yeah. Who do you cater to, though? But th- right. is that, are you catering to the the hunter who's footing the bill or also what's what's best for the wildlife, really? Yeah. That's what I kind of want. Right. I want to know, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Like, what's best for the long-term viability of mule deer in general yeah i don't know i i don't either i i you know some of the other dynamics that are different is in montana on bad mule deer years we can shift more of our hunting pressure to whitetails because we have a lot of whitetails here but a lot of our whitetails live on private land right Mm -hmm. but there's also i shouldn't tell the world this there's a lot of whitetails living on forests Oh yeah. yeah, but, but it's and, and, it's and so I just say that as compared to Western Colorado or Western Wyoming, they they really don't have that as a fallback mechanism or a place where in tough years hunting pressure can be moved mm-hmm. to a different, I guess, situation. Yeah. Um, but I I have a mule deer tag in two weeks in Colorado archery meal there it'll be interesting to see what we see out there it's gonna be sweet michael's all excited (laughs) it's archery though michael well i mean the odds of me getting within 20 yards of one of them that i can hit we'll get it done (laughs) i'm not worried about it Uh, i like your optimism but uh let's not uh, schedule that as a (laughs) as an episode yeah it, it might turn out to be a serious failure when I lived in Nevada, and that was a long time ago, but I still go back there and hunt now. 
one thing remarkable about Nevada is the great age class that they have, but also the great buck to doe ratio. Yeah, oh, yeah. Their total deer numbers are low just because of the habitat pressures of right. invasive plant species, feral horses, just pinion juniper encroachment, uh, fire cycles. There's so many things that make Nevada a harder place to look at. But, man, they they really manage tightly. And if they get years when the winter range burns in a fire, they will go and harvest a lot of does to protect the habitat from overuse that really? winter. Yeah. And they get a lot of heat over it. But they're, they're a state that's really responsive to what they're seeing on the landscape. Right. So. Where Montana's kind of... It'll take care of itself. Yeah, exactly. Nevada, I mean... But. And one of the differences there, Nevada's 84 or 87% public land. Montana is, what, 30% public land? So I I think we do have a lot of sanctuary uh, to hunting pressure on our private lands in Montana. That That's why you need your Onyx system because... <laughs> In November, I bet you any money, Michael, that deer you shot over in eastern Montana, he probably spent a good chunk of his time on private land. <laughs> He's not <laughs> saying a word. I know. <laughs> he was uh, <clears throat> he was close to some private land. Yeah. So it's, and then you have the other option where if you're Billy Goat like Marcus, you just <laughs> use distance and topography. Well, to get to where the the yeah. older I had the could. added benefit of borrowing Marcus and Marshall the, the llamas, llamas right. this year, which makes it a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, a lot further in there. I had I brought like the nice tent, camp chair. Yeah, I was living the high life back in there. It was yeah. nice. They didn't have to carry the deer <coughs> out, although I still got to pack the deer a little bit because right when I started quartering it, the coyotes were yipping like crazy, and I was like, you know. I better just huh. get this back to camp. <laughs> Did you see anyone there in there? Not no. a single person when I was uh, packed in. Yeah. Once I got back to the roads, there was people everywhere. But I yeah. saw an insane amount of people. Really? Yeah. 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 Well, where you were at, that just comes with the territory. Yeah. And, and then Montana, we have a weird way of how we manage resident hunting pressure. Not weird. It just anyone who wants to can go buy a tag. And our non-resident, we have 5,500 uh, just deer-only tags. And then, seven. I th what is it, 17,000 of our elk tags, non-resident elk tags, have a deer tag attached to it or something like the that? I don't remember. Deer and then there's what's called landowner-sponsored, which is like another 2,200 tags. And then we have our come-home-to-haunt. And we, Montana has... We we have so many options for non-residents to get a deer tag. They've been selling out though, right? <coughs> yeah. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. kind of impressive to me. So there's yeah. another like, you know, stat that's food for thought. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, there's enough demand that non-residents still want to hunt here. Yeah. So how bad is Montana? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that, I'm, that that's a good. You know, the, for all the people out on Hunt Talk right now, who are debating this topic. It really is. I think your question is very valid. Is Montana the train wreck everyone says it is? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think if you gave me any state, I would not cho- like any western state. Montana no. would be low on the list, right, for hunting mule deer, right. But it's still a lot of fun to yeah. hunt them in the rut, and I think that's what I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, that, I think there's a lot of tradition and know. culture built around that. There also, is. a lot of people that four day weekend of Thanksgiving is their deer hunting weekend. Yeah, and. Back to some of these other states that have cinched down the opportunity so tight, have they lost a lot of their hunters? And when mm. you lose them because they only draw a tag every six years, do you ever get them back? Or what what percentage do you get back? And how yeah. does that affect conservation? How does that affect hunting? How does that affect funding of the agencies and the habitat? Mm. Wyoming seems to have something good going on. Oh, yeah. Like, cause yeah. there's there's a lot of opportunity. They kill a lot of big deer. Yeah, I think North, I think uh, the Kaibab in Arizona has a lot of good going on. You wouldn't know it by when uh, you guys <laughs> are looking gonna, at me. What like, are you talking about? Yeah. Because <laughs> we were there in the fall in November 2017. Hit the full moon and super hot temperatures. But you know that every day you go out there you might stumble into one of those big kaibab bucks. Mm-hmm. And so they've figured out a way to offer a ton of opportunity. What were there, 500 tags in that hunt we had? Yeah, I can't remember. And then they had uh, a youth season. A and youth, yeah, and then they have an archery season before that that has a ton of tags. Yeah, there was a... And then they really cinch it down after we left. I think it's going on right about now, from now till... 20th or 25th they have a a later one of them's a muzzleloader hunt one of them's a rifle hunt mm. on the kaibab and those are really really cinched down as far as tag numbers but as todd the biologist we were talking to the game manager he said you know there's always a surplus of older age class bucks that can be taken every year and that's what arizona uses that late kaibab november rut season for is Right. They have a pretty good feel for it. One of the things they do, every deer that gets shot on the Kaibab has to go through a check station. Mm-hmm. Every hunter gets a survey. Montana, it's just whether or not the check station's open when you drive through that day. And not every highway, not not every place you go has a check station. And then in the winter, they call a few people. Montana's harvest reporting is something akin to the 1930s. So, I've shot a deer in Montana every year since mm-hmm. I could hunt. Me too. I've taken one deer through a check station, ever. Yeah, I can't remember how many I have or haven't. I know when I hunt eastern Montana, there's a check station over there by Heisham. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had to go through that a couple times, so... But I've had, I've been called by the survey folks and they'll say, hey, did you hunt elk this year? Yeah, I did. Oh, what are the results? I tell them. And then I say, well, what about, you want to know about my deer hunting? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Uh, You were just randomly selected for the elk part. Yep. It uh, (coughs) drives me insane. Yeah. And so I think there's a ton of data that could be accumulated and looked at and analyzed. Other than these phone surveys, that oh, they do. and they ha- FW Montana already has the system in place online. 
they have a great portal. You log into it. It even has report harvest reporting, but you can only mm-hmm. do bighorn sheep and right. mountain lion or yeah. something. It's like <laughs> add a few more tabs there. I'll fill that thing out every year. <laughs> right. Like just have that that little window pop up before you go. I mean, how many? I bet most people buy their licenses online anyway nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have that little dialog box pop up when you go to buy your license. Mm-hmm. And right there, you're gonna get thirty, forty percent of the hunters answering the survey. Right. And then the other ones, you, I don't know, you incentivize it. I think, oh, obviously, I I think it should be mandatory. But I believe it should be. Why also. is it not at least optional? Yeah. Self-reporting. Well, I, I looked last year. When I got insane. home from our Kaibab hunt, my survey card was waiting for me. And you got to go online and fill it out. Nevada, if you don't fill it out, you can't even apply the next year. Wow. Utah. Yeah, that's, that's smart. I know. That's why they have such really, really precise data. And there's always the naysayer who says, oh, well, people lie about those. Well, how do you know they don't lie on the phone survey? I I know that I've accidentally lied on phone surveys because I'm like, oh, wait, no, that was... Because they, they catch you yeah. off guard. They call you and you're like you're in right. the middle Seven, of dinner. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, God, yeah, I think I hunted hunting district, whatever, this number of days. And then later you're thinking about it. You're like, no, that was wrong. Yeah. Like... Yeah, no, it's <coughs> stupid. That that needs to be changed. Yeah. So I, I, the reason I want to have discussed so many different things is how unique not just the states are, but their populations, both the deer population and the hunter population, how they manage, whether for opportunity or for age class, right? whether they hunt in the rut or don't hunt in the rut. Uh, uh, it's all over the map. Uh, if I had to pick a state, that I think really, so if you told me, Randy, you get to hunt mule deer in one state a year, I'm picking Western Colorado. No doubt. I, I've just, you go there and you see quality, quality deer. And people say, oh, they got better genetics. Well, I think genetics and mule deer from Mexico to Canada has the ability to produce old goofy looking bucks how hard is it to pull a tag there as a non-resident in colorado yeah depends on how you know if you want one of the quote-unquote glory tags it's gonna take a long time what about someone who has seven points? For like Marcus does. <laughs> <laughs> That's where your Go Hunt Insider oh, yeah. comes into play. Use promo code Randy. And uh, this is another plug for Go Hunt because Brady shot another whopper yeah. Colorado deer. That thing's huge. <laughs> this is so big. Brady Miller at Go Hunt shoots more big meal deer on public land in units. That he He's not hunting units that take seven points because he's going almost every year every other year so do the math he's he's well, getting get rid of those seven take. points so i can get some of those takes right yeah. but he's very generous with his information if you sign up for the insider at go hunt and they have their strategy articles brady writes them and he his mule deer strategy articles about how to draw the tags and way to look at it and approach it both the short term and long term and how to just go even in years when you're you know you're waiting for the long term it might be 10 years what do you how do you backfill your hunts in the interim and 
I don't know anyone who's got a better track record to show for their strategy than Brady does. So, and now all of our listeners are going to go follow Brady Miller on Instagram or something. <laughs> you should. <laughs> uh, and you should go out to the Insider, the GoHunt.com Insider, and sign up because they'll start putting out their strategy articles now that Brady's off the road. Those things will start popping up in Jan- December, January. And use promo code Randy and get $50 of free store credit. It's like cash in your pocket. But anyhow, I, I bring Brady up because he's been on our podcast twice. And he's so humble. He he will hardly say, well, I looked out. Or, yeah, I just stumbled into this one. And it's like, dude, when you shoot uh, consistently as many big deer as you do in units that aren't renowned for mm-hmm. their their huge deer you're doing something right so quit quit acting like you just fell off the turnip i truck, think yeah right? there's a there's a lot to the individual hunter too yeah I, I think even in montana where it's you know the, the crappy little bucks everywhere i think there is a big meal deer buck somewhere yeah. in mm-hmm. most units i think you're right on public land yeah and is I, th- it? <laughs> I mean even yeah it's interesting Montana. how some guys have the knack for finding that one big buck in the drainage. Yeah. I'm not that guy. I just, I have, for me, it's like, the, in fact, I, I posted my uh, hunt recap on Hunt Talk, and I, it's the title of the thread is That'll Do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, <clears throat> but there, there are some people who are just really, really good mule deer hunters. Yeah. I'm not one of them. I, no, I, neither am I. I the last three years I've gotten I've shot okay bucks, but even for like Wyoming or Colorado standards, all those deer the deer I've shot are small. Yeah, I consider them to be okay, good, good in Montana. But and that's just lucky because I found a sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you need to be careful when you take my truck and trailer. I don't know. Well, <laughs> because someone on instagram said we saw your truck and trailer we drove by every day because my boyfriend was hoping you guys would be at your camp oh seriously Uh, yeah (laughs) that's funny uh so marcus your your secret spot uh, yeah you need to go in like a ford pinto or something i don't know if you could get mark marcus and marshall in a ford pinto but so (laughs) just load them up But I, I think it's it's interesting to watch, and we're lucky we get to hunt a lot of places and see a lot of different states and how they do things. The one thing, and this is what I thought was really cool about your hunt, Michael, is you did it weekend warrior style. Yep. You left work on Friday, went and slept in your truck, yep. hunted the public land with the masses. The night before, I saw your Instagram story. It's 30 mile an hour wind, 10 degrees. I'm freezing my blankety blank <laughs> off here. I'm sleeping in my truck, and there are people everywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. When I saw that, what it struck me is how blessed I am that my situation allows me to hunt all the time. Uh, I'd be picky about oh, I'm going to go hunt Monday through Thursday, or I'm going to go hunt Friday like I did with for my tag because I knew pressure would be less. The weekend warrior person, as they get called, 
those guys who gals who can consistently fill tags whether it's elk or deer or whatever who just have that saturday sunday through their oh, season yeah. that's impressive that th- those people are on it they they are dialed in because a lot of times it's around day three or four when you start figuring it out yeah and so if you never have that day three or four it's like yeah. it gets really <laughs> difficult <clears throat> yeah and so i i think about that and it makes me realize how lucky i am that we produce the content we do and it allows me to hunt as much as i do and and somewhat exempt myself from the high level of hunting pressure that happens on weekends. Yeah, sometimes we're hunting weekends, uh, just yeah. how it goes. Like when the Gerber guys came, we hunted weekend. When Bo and Lucas were with us, we hunted opening weekend, which was an insane amount of pressure. But you think about the folks who have to do that, yeah, that that's really what they have. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Marcus, uh, about the time you think you got it figured out, oh, my weekend's over. Now I get, now I get, I get to hunt next next Saturday morning. Well, the whole deck has been shuffled in the five days since you've been yeah. back at the, back at work. Yeah. So. Well, that's tricky. So if if you were king for a day, Marcus, wh- what would the the deer hunting seasons look like? That's hard. Do we got to come back to that question? I think. I would have several more units are we talking like just i mean i i think in montana terms because i'm familiar with it and Mm -hmm. i know the rigs and stuff but so i'm just gonna speak to montana i guess but i i would have a few more districts that are would either be i don't think i think i'd yeah try a few districts where you can't hunt them in the rut Mm -hmm. and then uh still leave it pretty opportunity have a pretty heavy opportunity state as for Montana. Yeah. Be able to hunt them in the rut. and I don't know. I th- and This is different. I, I Ask me a year ago or two years ago, it would have been 100% different. Oh, really? I think uh, in what way? Like, no, we shouldn't <coughs> hunt them in the rut. Because I, I, I thought, you know, I wanted to kill bigger bucks. Right. I wanted to. But I don't know, like seeing stuff in Utah and Nevada and, and obviously the habitat and everything's different there. But – Man, I re- it's it's cool to see families and people getting out and just being able to go out and shoot a deer. Right. And a two-point meal deer is, like, the best thing in the world for a young hunter to mm-hmm. shoot for the first time. Because oh, they're yeah. dumb. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. They just – it's, like, the best thing ever. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> to not mm-hmm. have that, I don't know. I, I it's, uh, Yeah. Two years ago, I would have been all for limited entry, not hunting them in the rut produce more big more big bucks but it's yeah. just i don't know hmm. i kind i don't know i think i would have a few a little bit more of a mixture than currently but mm-hmm. not much yeah. i don't know huh michael you come from more of a whitetail background you've been out here deer hunting montana yeah i always years. thought i always thought it was a little bit weird that they're you can hunt them in the rut with a rifle like in states like missouri as well um but being out here and doing it <laughs> it's pretty fun and i need all the help i can get so. uh, and i think if you're patient and if you're if you're looking for an older age class buck like you said marcus if you put in the time there, you can find old 
old big bucks. But it's nice to also be out like that day that I killed Brian, I was shooting the first buck I could see, I could find. I was out there looking for meat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to go out and know that you have a pretty high odds of success if you put in your time and yeah. give it a couple of days. I know. If I was king for a day, it'd be very similar to Idaho. Okay. Or Wyoming for meal deer hunting. And so I guess, yeah, line that out. What's the biggest differences? It's mostly not ru- no rut hunts. Right, exactly. They, residents have large amounts of the state that are general hunting. It's mostly in October. Uh, if someone wants to just shoot the first two point they see in Idaho or Wyoming, hey, you know what? Knock yourself out. If someone wants to really get after it, you've got pretty rough country and tough places where bucks will get old, and those folks who really have an interest in older deer will go to those places. And then they have some hunts where they hunt with a rifle in November or in in Wyoming they have a few in uh, Idaho they have a few Idaho has quite a bit of archery and muzzleloader hunting in November for meal deer so I I think they've done a good job of not foregoing opportunity and letting people go and hunt Mm -hmm. but yet leveling the playing field with these dumb mule deer bucks i i I mean it's for me to say they're dumb shows how bad of a mule deer hunter i am because if they're supposedly so dumb why don't i shoot big ones everywhere (laughs) because i'm not a good mule deer hunter but uh they're they're compromised maybe i shouldn't say dumb but whatever level of acuteness they have in september and october it's seriously compromised in November during the rut. And so by moving that pressure off them, you you still have a good age class of bucks. You have good buck to doe ratios. And, right. and I know Montana hunters would come unwound if we said you have to do your deer hunting in October. Right. They'd say, well, that's when I'm pheasant hunting and antelope hunting and elk hunting. Well, we get that. and i don't know maybe i'd say all right you can hunt whitetails in november Mm -hmm. because like you said earlier most of them the majority live on public land or uh private land and so that provides some relief of pressure to them yeah and i i like that idea for the most part i just i think the the one potential loss of opportunity is that one, you know, family that only gets to go out one time a year. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're not. You they're the ones who shoot two point. You right. see them every, all over the place. Yeah. Everywhere you, you go. If you go out uh, November 20th-ish, you're going to see yeah. some family shooting two point mule deer mm-hmm. from the road. Yeah. <laughs> and that's near, like. Near a road, not from a well, road. Yeah, near, near a road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get but that. So I don't you, know. You don't think they'd. Do it in October. I if the season was in October. I just don't think it'd be as easy for them to yeah. get one. I think mm-hmm. that the deer aren't as visible. They're not moving around as much. They're yeah. I mean, one the bucks thing aren't with the does. I mean, right. even the even the little bucks. I mean, okay, they are, but yeah, more so in the rut, they're going to be visible. Yeah, up and moving next to roads, 
Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, do you obviously guys... I I do like the looks of Wyoming, but I haven't. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of how they, what they have going on. Yeah, we always get whenever we're down there elk or antelope hunting. We haven't. We went down there whitetail hunting two years ago with Matt Seidel mm-hmm. of Onyx Maps. But whenever we're down there in those other hunts, when I see mule deer, they're always not always, but I see plenty of quality. Mm-hmm. age class let's put it that way and as a guy who is sitting on maximum non-resident points in wyoming for <laughs> next year i'm making copious notes about where i see these mature bucks so that's an awful lot on on deer hunting but i i think deer is the big game of america yeah. whitetail especially but mm-hmm. even people who come out west a lot of them come out here they they want to find a mule deer i think that's part of the appeal of montana is if you get the elk deer tag that's the combination tag yeah i'll go elk hunting if i see a mule deer i'll shoot it i think that appeals to a lot of non-residents who travel here but shifting now that we've got the whole audience saying no that's not what i'd do if i was king or queen (laughs) for a day that's good if there's one thing that i hope comes of this discussion is that people will go and participate in their season setting processes. In Montana, every January, we have our, you know, here are the seasons we're proposing. You can go around the state and seek comment on them. Uh, I'll, you get a lot of people say, oh, well, they never listen to me. <laughs> well, anyone could say that because you're not going to get everything they want. If they only listen to you, then they're not listening to someone else who has a differing opinion. But every state has similar processes where you can comment online, comment at meetings. And if you want to see something different in your state or some experiments or something changed, most of the biologists I know, if you ask to sit down with them and talk and say, I'm seeing this, can you explain why? Because they don't just throw a dart at the board and say, this is what we're going to have for a season type this year. Most of them have some type of adaptive seasons where all right we can have more opportunity or less opportunity or the numbers are down or they're up or we have more doe hunting doe hunting huh what do you think of doe hunting uh that's a tricky one i don't know that's another yeah opportunity opportunity thing i need to re-up mm-hmm. on all my yeah scientific so, journal articles <laughs> I, I can't speak uh the yeah. I was at, at a conference here for a couple of days. Uh, my few days back in Bozeman, I spent in this conference, and one of the presenters talked about how there is such an overpopulation of deer in some of the eastern states that the habitat will never again be the same. And so now they're starting to see declines in deer numbers because of what the deer did to the forests. Mm-hmm. They, the numbers got so high for so long that you ended up with no uh, early class vegetation types. They just got gobbled up, the, whatever preferred habitat was of deer there. And, and now they're struggling with serious problem of, okay, they have old canopy forests everywhere, and the productivity of the landscape is hurting the deer in the long run. And... His hypothesis was, you know what, we needed to kill more does 
before we ever got to this point. Mm-hmm. But hunters didn't want to kill more does. Right. They protested, so fishing game either didn't do it or hunters just refused to participate. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that, you know, how I don't think we're exa- is, exactly so. experiencing that with mule deer in the no. western states. <laughs> no. I think one of the things you'll hear in Montana is in other western states where you have this weird the western half of the state is heavily public and the eastern half is heavily private like mm-hmm. montana you can go right down the spine right. montana wyoming colorado for the most part uh you end up with eastern montana they give away how many thousand doe tags and really hard winter last year everyone's saying why are we giving away doe tags when we got to rebuild this herd well the landowners are seeing pressure right well make them private land only then and so if there is a complaint in the use of hunters to harvest does i think a lot of times is hunters say you know you're not focusing this to where the problem is you're treating the whole landscape the same so i shoot does white tail does yeah I'm trying to remember if I've ever shot a mule deer doe in Montana. I did when I first moved here. There were a lot more mule deer when I first moved here almost 30 years ago. Used to see a lot more of them. And mm-hmm. I I think the first couple of years I shot a mule deer doe. And then I went to shooting strictly fat, agriculture-fed white-tailed does. <laughs> that was oh, best. <laughs> that's another thing. That mule deer buck I shot. Yeah. This is the fattest animal that I have ever oh, killed. Yeah, good, the, good it thing. was ridiculous. The like more, s- there's fat like ingrained into the muscles. Like yeah. the back strap, like has fat in it, and yeah. it, it's it's crazy. Mine was the same. It's same with huge, mine. Thick, you know, rump fat, rump fat, and over an inch thick still. In yeah. I, I don't know, maybe they burn all that off over the next two weeks of the rut. But this dude I shot was just grotesquely obese <laughs> yeah uh, maybe that's this is they're doing good this year i guess i don't know because i mean a lot of times you have that big layer of fat on the back but like i when i cut the tenderloins out it was just like gushing mm. out of it like it was just i never seen anything like that i mean i i've seen fat deer with, <laughs> with big layers of fat on their back but this was like nothing else yeah it was interesting do your midwest deer michael get super fat like that uh, I haven't shot a whole ton of whitetails, but the one that I shot in Iowa was pretty darn fat. Yeah. And uh, some of the ones that I filmed have been pretty fat. Super it, good grub. It kind of depends on, you know, when you shoot them. If you shoot them. Late into the rut versus Yeah, really. late into, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So. Huh. Yeah, I, in fact, Dan took a really cool picture from above of me taking the cape off this buck. And you can see just this huge V of fat that starts right at the withers and comes all the way back onto the rump. Nice. It's, it's crazy. Too bad you can't render mule deer fat like you oh, can I, get, I, I heard you can, but it's just really? not, not as good. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a lot of rendering to be done on these deer, it sounds like. So with the audience now banging on their computer on their radio <laughs> saying newberg why didn't you guys talk about this why didn't you talk about that we didn't even get into things like management for disease management for other oh, things. yeah all the new stuff with cwd in montana yeah and all that and yeah. The, the 
fact that you can't stockpile deer because at least in the west along will come blue tongue ehd and wipe them all out and then people complain why didn't why weren't you more aggressive with the season types look all these deer died all these old bucks died (laughs) now i know what you got out of wildlife management marcus (laughs) is there ever a wildlife manager who the public agrees with anything they say or do yeah no (laughs) <laughs> that's, a, that's a thankless job kind For of sure. kind of the opposite of being a weatherman a biologist is expected to be right all the time and the weatherman if he's right one out of 10 days you're considered oh man that guy's pretty good <laughs> no one complains to him biologists everyone's he can't even go to the grocery store someone's grinding on him yeah but. well but then again they're Everyone wants to be their best friends right before they go on their hunt. Yeah. Too, and calling. Yeah. Where should I go to kill a big bull? <laughs> Can you? <laughs> how would you like to be a biologist the day after hunting re- tag results were released in your state? I would. I would time my summer vacations <laughs> to be out of the office for two weeks, as quick as the draw results came out. I don't need your honey hole. I just want to know where I can go shoot a nice 170-inch mule deer. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, if you could tell me where what ridge to go on, that would be great. Yeah. And the biologist sends you to the same place he or she sent the last 45 people <laughs> who called. And you get there and look around. Oh, there's 46 people here. And you all find out. Kind of like, remember last year, Michael, when we were in Arizona hunting on that elk hunt with Jerry? Yep. Because it was a drought, the biologist sent everybody to the same spot. Oh. We talked to like three different people and they're like, oh, yeah, the biologist said, come right here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ran into people in this small town at the grocery store and they saw me and they said, oh, we have the tag. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, we're going right here. Oh, really? What, what, what made you decide that? Oh, the biologist said that's where <laughs> there, there's still some water there. Yeah. Uh, I think well, I ran into well, four or five people in that little <laughs> town, and then we see them all when we're out there in the woods. And we like, literally came up to the glassy knob we were on, the uh, one guy we met. Like, yeah. So the moral of that story is, if the biologist is super helpful, be a little cautious. <laughs> you might show up, and there will be 45 other camps there because he or she sent everybody to the same spot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go to Gobbler's Knob right there, park over on the southeast side, and oh, yeah, you have all kinds although, of them. Although on a different hunt, I won't say what hunt it was for the sake of the person, but I remember you calling someone, and they said, oh, you can't go there, and they tell, told you that there's a place that you'll never get a vehicle to, mm-hmm. but yeah, we could, we got there just fine, and I think that that biologist had a tag. <laughs> they didn't want you to go there first but then we got there and there was no elk there anyway so it ended up not mattering but that was my theory at the time (laughs) (laughs) which kind of gets me to a discussion i was having with somebody where was i they stopped me oh at sportsman's warehouse and they said i know exactly where you were like really how do you know oh i i recognize that mountain Spoiler alert, we bury a lot of footage from a lot of strange places in our footage. So (laughs) if you see a very recognizable peak or landmark, a lot of times that was put there by us on purpose. (laughs) 
And then now someone's going to stop me and say, you SOB. But we, we do that. I, I think about how many times there's a peak outside of Bozeman here that the first two or three years of our filming, almost every hunt, whether a deer hunt, bear hunt, elk hunt, we'd put that peak in there. <laughs> Everybody come up, man, you're killing me, man. That's my spot. Uh, well, we really weren't hunting there. Really? No. Well, why'd you put it in there? Because everybody knows that peak and <laughs> going to kind of throw them all off course. So maybe biologists do the same yeah. thing. <laughs> maybe we need to start a, a, a video series of uh, the mad biologist, how the mad biologist gets even with all the hunters <laughs> who harass him or her. Go and interview him. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? to send a hunter on a goose chase (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i've had nothing but good luck talking to biologists but when i call them i try to be prepared i don't want to say hey i drew the unit 43 tag can you tell me where to go Mm -hmm. well that if that's your question you're probably going to get the same standard answer that the other 45 hunters got I try to say, look, I've been doing the research. I know it's this time of year. I think the deer or the elk pattern is this. I'm looking at this spot and this spot. Is there something wrong in my thinking? Am I going to see a bunch of people there? There's all kinds of things you can ask. Or, you know, have you guys done any landscape treatments, anything for thinning, for burns? For And usually if you're that dialed in and that prepared, it'll really help you out, which... I don't, I don't blame them. If I was in their position and I got 200 calls the day after tag results came out and it was a lot of, can you tell me where to kill a big buck? I, I'd have a hard, <laughs> hard time insane. doing that. But. So before we did all this deer hunting, we went elk hunting and we did two Montana over-the-counter hunts, just general hunts with varying degrees of success the first one we had Bo and lucas with us and we went to the hot spot of montana right guarantee isn't the hot this, spot of hunters yeah <laughs> isn't, the, isn't this the spot the biologist sent everyone this year oh yeah probably opening morning michael <laughs> how many did you and i lucas count <coughs> 22 or it something was, like yeah, that by noon and we quit we just said you know what, we're done counting there's a lot of headlights down below us yeah yeah it was in the morning yeah but it was really for me it was fun because we took the llamas in just that's fun we set up a cool camp yeah. that was fun bo had went in early and set up a lot of stuff and yeah camped way up high yeah yeah it was that was fun yeah and in this episode folks be careful watching landscapes because we were hunting in a place that Marcus and Bo have both hunted before. And so there's an awful lot of deceit going on in some <laughs> of the landscapes you're going to see there. <laughs> Is that safe to say, Marcus? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Marcus, you may or may not have been a little bit of messing around. I don't know. Mar- Marcus was <laughs> Marcus was hoping we'd just skip over this part and just talk about deer the whole time, but we can't because it was a classic post rut hunt. Not much snow. It'd been warm, and the elk, not they, they were still a few of them around cows, and then there were. St- 
probably more of them that were starting to go solo or get bachelored up than yeah. what, than what were around cows. But man, the hunting pressure. If you were a bull in Montana that weekend and you lived, you're like Houdini. <laughs> I was impressed the number of people getting after it. Like yeah, you that s- had hiked in like four <laughs> or five miles yeah. and were hunting hard i know you you lied to us you said oh i've been there before you we aren't gonna where we're going we aren't gonna see all that much well well, to be fair i'd never hunted exactly where we were on opening day before oh okay but isn't this the spot you said some of your family had hunted one time and they just folded it up and said i'm never going back there again on opening weekend (laughs) similar (laughs) spot yeah (laughs) <laughs> I didn't, I love I didn't hear that Marcus. story until we, we had just about got there. Uh, no, I was yeah. impressed. I, In fact, I argued with you that there was a trailhead down below us. And you said, no, you got to walk two and a half miles just to get to the mouth of this canyon mm. or whatever it was. I'm like, no way. There are not that many people willing to walk two or three miles to get to the mouth of the canyon and then scale another, I don't know what. 22, 2400 vertical feet. At least, feet. yeah. yeah it's steep. a lot. It's and up get there. up here with us. I, I did not think there were that many energetic hunters in Montana. Yeah, they no, were there. They were yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when is that going live on YouTube, Michael? Monday. So Monday. it'll be. So this podcast is going to drop on Friday. So on Monday. Monday. When is the date? Monday the 19th. Yep, Monday the 19th. All right. People will get to see that first week of Montana elk season. Yep, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of cool. I wasn't, I don't know why I wasn't that, like, rip-roaring get-after-it on that. And I was mostly interested in Bo and Lucas shooting an elk. Because I, well, it. The old thing, right? You, you kind of pass and him and ha. Huh, oh, I'll get lots of chance. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going the next week. Well, you kind of start kicking yourself that, Randy, you should have been on more than just a scouting operation. Maybe you should have really hunted hard instead of scouted hard. But I wanted Lucas to shoot an elk, and I wasn't that worried because I thought, well, the next week with the Gerber guys, I'll shoot him. I'll shoot an elk. Well, we get what three out of our five days were zero visibility days. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, three out of yeah. five days. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. And then I said, well, and even with that, Larry and Matthew have Wyoming elk tags, so I know I'll end up with some elk meat there. Well, now Larry, because of his chemo situation, he's got to cancel the hunt. So now we're down to just Matthew's tag. <sighs> I might be bumming you guys for some elk meat before our season's over. I'll swap. It's you. only gonna be Marcus you're bumming elk meat off of. Oh, <laughs> Here, here's the thing, guys. I went and picked up the bison meat the other day. Oh, so did you? We, uh-huh. we got, I got to bring it in here, and we got to have a kind of divvy it up party. <laughs> All, All right. right. Yeah, because I'll trade. How about we could do some trading? Because okay. I might have to get rid of some elk meat in my freezer to. Uh, to I fit right in now. I you know I freeze all those milk drugs. I had to take them all out of my freezer, and I'm packing every little corner of where's this bison gonna fit. I did not think I'd fit it all in there, but do you I did. know roughly like how many pounds of meat you got? Well, we already split it. Oh with, yeah, we with, 
with JR and Ray. All right. So we had maybe half of it, if that. Mm-hmm. By the time we got done splitting, about half of it. And I ended up with five big boxes of meat. Wow. Plus a huge bag of jerky. Of, of ba- you know, the they put it in these big, almost like a shopping bag. And it's then in these vacuum sealed packages. So, yeah, when we get back from the elk hunt or whatever it is, we'll divvy up the bison. But uh, that that hunt with Bo and Lucas, I should have got more serious. I I yeah, we were we (laughs) were. I I was with Randy most of the time. We were looking we were looking for Lucas a lot. Yeah, but I wanted Lucas to shoot an elk in the worst way. So yeah, but we can't give the spoiler alert about. Lucas's elk. Yeah. But other than you never know when a limb is going to get in your way. (laughs) 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 Poor guy. I mean, he was so, he was just beating himself up. He got after it hard. Yeah. You guys had some big days. Yeah. How many days do you you think you put on that last, that that day? How many miles? Yeah, how many miles when you guys went and did that huge loop? Oh, the second to last day. Ten. Uh, I th- yeah, I think Bo s- Bo had his uh, GPS on. I said it was eleven miles. I think. Eleven miles, but a lot of elevation. It was yeah, the elevation was the kicker on that. And, and post holing through crunchy frozen snow. snow. Michael and I, we really went after it. We went to that saddle <laughs> just away from camp, about I don't know two miles. Came back to camp. You guys almost got one that day, too. I know. I took care of the llamas, went on the ridge up above camp. And if that bull would have come out a half hour sooner, we would have had time to trot over there Mm -hmm. and dump him. But when he came out, what did we have, 20, 25 minutes left? And you can't cover a mile and a half in that country in 20 minutes. So. Yeah, you got to get your running shoes on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea was he was going to go bed down. And we'd find him in the morning, but we never really saw him scratch out of bed and say, I'm staying here. Mm-hmm. He just kind of disappeared yeah. into those trees, and we never found him again. But it was, there's a reason why you can have that much hunting pressure in a post-rut hunt on public land. Because it is a hard time to kill a bull elk. Yeah. These, these bulls who have seen two or three or four seasons... You are really, really up against some tough odds yeah. in the post-rep period. What percentage of those hunters we saw on opening day do you think shot bull elk? Like, uh, I only saw one other person shoot an elk. Yeah. With the guy with the llamas? Yeah, and that was a cow. I cow. think very, yeah, I, th- I bet you it's pretty low, even. Yeah. 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 I mean, we opening morning, we, well, had, we had that good setup opening morning, and then those other guys came in from upwind of the elk. Yeah, and I wonder if those shots we heard down, mm-hmm. were, if they wound up getting them. Cause yeah, they might have, but we couldn't see down yeah. on the canyon. But that was just bad luck there, mm-hmm. too. Those elk were coming right yeah. up where we had planned. And look over there, and here's this little orange figure behind this pile of rocks and based on the direction the wind was blowing you could tell immediately when those elk got in his scent corridor Mm -hmm. i'd say he was i don't know if he even saw him at first i bet you he is 600 yards away Hmm. and they just locked it up and they did about 
maybe not a 180, but a 150. Yeah. And so much for our chance. Uh, and Bo, he shot one two minutes into season. <laughs> uh, that was good, though. He'd been in there scouting and planning, and I was really happy to see him shoot one. But I, for me, that's that's kind of my opening day tactic. I'd love to get in there and scout ahead of time because the scouting day, you guys, didn't you guys see some elk over there? Oh, yeah. The I think we had 50-some elk. Yeah. In five different groups. Yeah. Yeah. And we went and scouted that other place. We didn't see anything. Saw a lot of sign, but no elk per se. And then uh, for me, the tactic is have a plan for opening day. Put those elk to bed that night and be there and kill that thing two minutes into right. season. Just like well, Bo did. What's crazy, though, that bull that Bo shot was not one of the 50 elk that we saw the day really? before yeah no because that it was a unique bull we would have recognized oh, yeah, him that's for sure and yeah they did not hmm. we did not see that bull the day before wow. so that was i mean but we knew there were elk in the area so yeah well where you guys saw the elk the night before we went around the other side thinking well if they came out that way little did we know a group of hunters must have seen them from down below because they walked right through yeah where those elk were we we saw they were one of the many groups of people we should have been selling cookies and coffee yeah. up there man <laughs> could have paid for our gas for the trip <laughs> uh, well the next week after that was that was a tough hunt yeah that one was and, tough. and i think the second week of season in these places that have general seasons are even harder because the elk now are on full alert that guess what season's open <laughs> well fred got shot yesterday i'm heading out and these elk are in terrible terrible spots i don't know we were hiking up to almost nine thousand feet and toughing it out trying our best to find them and yeah it was it was tough we didn't really have the best weather for elk movement no. it was kind of mild and right and then yeah. it switched yeah. overnight and became terrible weather for glassing yeah and which is our our chosen tactic during this time of the year yeah so <clears throat> poor carson he couldn't catch a break on that hunt he wanted to kill one so bad oh, i mean I, his effort was 10 out of 10 11 yeah. out of 10 it was amazing yeah. but man yeah he was <laughs> dealt a crappy hand yeah the one day we finally found that big group of elk we drive up to the trailhead quick as we parked the truck we could see weather coming in before we could get our packs on you couldn't see 100 feet oh geez yeah and the weather had come over the ridge from where we'd seen the elk and i've hunted there quite a, quite a bit and we had to make the next day when we did go in there even with crappy visibility what was that a 9.2 mile yeah, round round trip just to get to where i uh, saw so, what 4.6 miles yeah. to just where we wanted to glass so i knew how long it was of a hike to get in there i just said you know we're gonna wait it out the weather will break this afternoon yeah. while we wait till the afternoon it's just getting worse yeah. and worse and worse <laughs> and Jeez. so i mean we're I, talking you can't see 50 100 yards yeah you know? not maybe not even that yeah 
So I almost wish we wouldn't have seen those elk in there because know, it kept it was... drawing us back every day. Oh, yeah. And every day we went back, the visibility was still impossible. Dang. So that's, you know, that's the other part about how spoiled we are is we talked about the weekend warrior thing in the deer hunt, but look at Carson. His one hunt this year was a five-day hunt. Came to Montana, hunted for five days. Three of them were zero visibility days. Yeah. That's just bad luck. <laughs> Whereas we get to hunt all kinds of different places and stuff. And uh, it it's really, to me anyhow, points out what a blessing it is to live where we do, yep. get to do what we do. And I always, I like the reminders that force me to put myself back into the mindset of back when I had to just hunt weekends and my days off from work and that I maybe only got one big trip a year. And because you really, you got to look at it differently when that's the case. Mm-hmm. And you could really use some good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really could use some good luck. But So anything uh, in, in your deer hunts that stuck, stuck out as far as tactics or equipment or something that you did different than you normally do? <sighs> Llamas are amazing. <laughs> that that was so nice. That was so fun. Yeah, well, I told my wife if ever she divorces me, I'm gonna go stake out a bunch of llamas in my yard like I've had for the last three weeks, and I'll only be single for about two hours. Every woman who drives by or walks by my house, can I go pet your llamas? <laughs> yeah, come on over. It's uh, a steady stream of people just intrigued by them. And then when you show them and talk to them about what amazing uh, mountain animals they are. Yeah. Not that most of those people were hunters. Uh, Bart went on the deer hunt day with me. And he's got two horses. Bart's a big horse guy. His oh, yeah. family's always had horses. By the time we were done, I think Dan and I had Bart talked into maybe trading out those horses <laughs> and actually he brought his wife and two of his boys over the next day oh yeah yeah to <laughs> hang out with the llamas nice and uh no llamas are, uh, they're a game changer we yeah. we took my deer out on the llamas and it, it's it was fun to take them in because we carried a meal we carried a stove we, you carry a lot of stuff that makes you more comfortable while you're up there right than if you were just backpacking it yep and man we we're busting through deep deep snow and they're just doom, doom, doom. They didn't care huh uh-uh, just purring and walking and looking around and the only thing was i don't know if dan and, and bart realize this but we got into four moose and then the moose were pooping and peeing, uh, and you could tell when yeah. we were in this big, long stretch of willows about half mile long. There were moose tracks everywhere, and we bumped into four of them. They just tensed up a little bit. Their ears were perked up, and they're like, oh, oh. Really? Huh. Yeah. I don't. I wish we would have been in a herd of elk instead of moose. And <laughs> yeah, there you seeing go. how they operated that way, but... Yeah, no, that was fun. Just yeah. hanging out with those guys. I'd say my discovery of the year... Uh, of equipment Bo let me use his glassing cushion <laughs> he ha- what is that thing that yeah, it's, a, it's a Thermarest sleeping pad Thermarest like Z-Lite sleeping yeah. pad yeah it's just like the it's just an old folding pad yeah, yeah. he's Our, got one that's seven feet long that folds up and 
the first day of the hunt, he hiked up with us, the Gerber hunt. Uh, and <laughs> I was laying on the dirt. I'm falling asleep. And both. he he said, you ought to try this. I'm like, no, I don't want to steal you. You know, you hauled that all the way up here. No, no, try it. Okay. So I tried it. I was sleeping so hard within 10 minutes. And he let me use it the rest of the hunt. I'm. Uh, Wait, maybe that's a counterproductive hunting gear, piece of hunting equipment if well, you're going to be asleep well, more often. When well, here, here was my thought on it is that by having it there, you can almost rotate. One person can really power nap. So when you get up, you're after it. Because I woke up and Michael and Carson and Sean and Bo, all four of them were sleeping. <laughs> really? I looked around, and I'm thinking, good thing a grizzly bear didn't come walking out here because all four of these guys were sleeping. I thought we were doing shifts. Well, I stayed awake then for the rest of the day. I just sat on that cushion. It was nice. Oh, oh yeah. I, I've always carried, like, a little gardener's butt cushion. Mm-hmm. It it's, it's lame compared to this thing Bo had. Yeah. yeah, I have I have the same material. They make a butt pad of it, oh, but it's just li- it's really little. That's hmm. It's not rock. near as nice as yeah I, having that whole sleeping pad. I think yeah. what I would do is take that sleeping pad and maybe yeah. cut in half. Yeah, dude, we could each have yeah. ha- half right. of one. We should That's do that. It. All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I I've seen people use them, and I thought, ah, oh, who wants to carry that? Yeah, that looks kind of lame. It doesn't weigh anything, but it is uh, bulky. Bulky, yeah, right. it's bulky, but it doesn't weigh anything. I that that had me saying, "Why have you waited so long to do this, Randy?" <laughs> I know it's kind of stupid that I've hunted that long and never tried it, and it's such a little thing. But sometimes the little things add serious convenience and comforts mm. that let you hunt harder. Yep. Yep. At least for me. The other thing was that I've enjoyed that we've done a couple times this year is with the llamas, we've been able to haul uh, a quick boil stove up and some dehydrated meals. And you get up at 9,000 feet and the wind's been blowing hard and it's been 15 degrees. There's just something about a really warm meal in your belly. Yeah. That makes you thankful that you took the time or, or brought the llama so you could pack that stuff up there. Yeah. But, so well, not, I was just going to say one thing on my hunt, this change of topics a little bit was hanging out by yourself for a while. I haven't yeah. done that in a yeah, while. That's, that's what I was going to yeah. say for my just point. Like it's, it's, I think it's good. Yeah. Good for the soul to just be by yourself. with No one else around. Uh huh. Stay the night. In the middle of nowhere for a few days. And I used to do it a lot more before mm-hmm. I was married. Yeah. And I still love going out with Karen and doing stuff. But yeah. it's something that's, like, good just being out in the middle of nowhere by yourself. Some people get freaked out by that. Oh, it ma- it like, it's, I think it's, like, one of the most relaxing things that I can, like, that you can experience yeah. in my mind. Huh. Well, I... I get a lot of emails from people about how do you handle the solitude, the silence, the loneliness, the whatever it is. And I dealt uh, with that this past weekend. Yeah. That was one of the things that I kind of had to overcome. Like, you're out there by yourself. In my case, the second day of hunting, I had, I didn't see a single deer on public, and I was ready to kind of pack it in. But to get to my point or whatever – uh that 
I learned on these hunts is persistence is key and you just got to stick with it and I think that really helped on this this last go yeah well, I've I've always enjoyed that solitude thing that you've talked about Marcus mm-hmm. uh, I don't get it now obviously because we always have at least a camera person and some a lot of times a guest hunter but there there's definitely some value in that that's definitely yeah so oh man we are solving all kinds of the world problems <laughs> now that we're we're done with political season for two more years i hope until Congress reconvenes in January, then it'll be back to the same old pain in the butt <laughs> again. But what do we have left? We got Wyoming elk. We got Wyoming elk. Week. Colorado deer, Arizona deer for Marcus and Wade. Yeah, and then coos uh, deer. and then coos deer in January. Yeah, is it Havilena? Yeah. Don't forget the it, It's It's whatever lives there. Anything <laughs> that's edible and has an open season that we have license or tag for. Havelina, Sonoran Dick Dick, i.e. a year and a half old coos deer. <laughs> uh, antelope jackrabbits. Antelope jackrabbits. Cottontails. Mern's quail. Scaled quail. Dove season will still be open when we're there this year. Uh... Quite a Monday if we see one, um, and then we're, we're we're going duck hunting with the Falcons. Yeah, not not like the Atlanta Falcons football team. Chris Parrish and the. the I'm non- excited for that. That's yeah, sweet. we need to bring. We should probably bring the slow mo camera down yeah. for that. I am so excited to see how you duck hunt with Falcons. Yeah, that is going to be so fun. <laughs> I I am just. Uh, that's probably one of the things I'm most excited about. I There's uh, quite a few falconers here in Bozeman. There's a mm-hmm. small group. Well, not quite a few. A small group. And I've seen them go out and do their thing from afar. And I always wanted to go and ask them, can, can I watch? Can I? But you feel like you're imposing on them, so you don't right. ask. So it's always intrigued me. You think about how long humans have been hunting with birds of prey and raptors. This is old school. Yeah. This is just, man. It's, I wonder how you count the limit, though. Or, you know, if, is it, if the limit is three ducks. Who There's gets falconry regu- regu- regulations. Oh, that's right. Yeah. At uh-huh. least in Montana. I assume there is. For I assume there is there, too. Arizona. So does the guy who flushes them off the water up into the air, does that person get credit for it? Or does only the, wonder what the term is for the person who owns and controls the bird. Yeah, how I think that, it's their how, limit. How does it work? Like, the like how is this going to happen? Are we going to like, is it like jump shooting ducks? Yeah. Like you, yeah. We're, we're going to send, I, I think you send the bird up and the bird starts flying and then I'm going to rush the stock tank, the pond, and flush the ducks up. And they're going to think, oh, we got away from him. And here will come a peregrine falcon at 180 miles an hour. <laughs> just thump. Uh, oh, man. Are they big birds? Like, are they? No. They aren't? Not really. Uh, peregrine. Yeah. They're not yeah, that I big. Mean, I've never. E- I really I, didn't know this was a is, thing. Is that what they were doing in Wyoming? Chris sent us those pictures of those sage grouse. Was that a peregrine or was that a different one? I can't remember I can't the photo either. now. What? It was cool. Yeah. yeah. 
that bird's just sitting there on this great big male sage grouse. Like, yeah, I'm bad. I'm bad, man. Don't don't screw with me, <laughs> pal. That's gonna be so cool. I got to witness one in just in nature once. Uh, I Peregrine taking out a Franklin's goal. Really? And that really? was one of the coolest things I've a ever what? seen. what? Franklin's goal. So it's like a seagull, but it's the one uh, that has like the little black okay. black on its head there. Gotcha. Anyway, it took wow. that thing out, and it just picked it up and just carried it a mile. Landed really? on a fence like post took and started it, eating it. Took it out of the air? Or like yeah, took it, it took it. It killed it in the air. Oh, man. Knocked it to the ground. Oh, and man. And then picked it up and flew, flew a mile with it. <laughs> And it's like a bird that's like the same size as it. Yeah, yeah. It I picks mean, it up and carries it. And is it are these falcons yeah. gonna be this like smaller than the ducks, or are they about? The I don't same know. Size? I, They'll I, be a I, little I, bigger than yeah. the ducks. Okay. The other part, I don't know if we'll have time, but these big jackrabbits. To me, we ought to send the bird that up. That would but, be pretty impressive. And then a bunch of us flush out one of these great big antelope <laughs> jackrabbits. <laughs> that was I, fun doing that last year. Yeah. I'm. It would be way sweet. I'm thinking of bringing a 22. You should. Instead of just this archery stuff, because those antelope jackrabbits are good. Yeah, or even. Know what I was thinking is you could. Do you have like any sort of like scoped like 17 or anything? I have a 222. I was thinking for rabbits, and then also I think Kawadi is open for. Rifle. For rifle hunt? I'm pretty sure. I w- du- we'll have to double check that, but I was thinking we could just go post up on that rock pile. I bet yeah. you they use that yeah. rock pile all the time. All the time. And I bet you you could just <laughs> shoot one at 200 yards <laughs> with a uh, rifle. I have a Howa 222 in a this. They make them in these mini actions. They call it. That thing. Oh, it is lights out. I didn't know you could use that. Maybe I, I mean I I know you can at some point of the year. Maybe I don't know if there's a season. We'd have we'll have to we'll check, check into yeah. it. Yeah, I'll bring it. Yeah, I I I'll uh, ha- everything I own is gonna be going down there with me. Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> the good news is I'm driving. Yeah. So I'm bringing a Traeger grill. Oh seriously? Yeah. Are you bringing the whole cargo trailer and everything? I'm bringing the cargo trailer for a couple of reasons. One, we can bring all of our production gear. Then I can bring a whole uh, arsenal of shotguns and rifles mm-hmm. and extra bows and targets. And then on the way back, I got to go through Vegas because I'm moving my mother-in-law up here. Oh. Because my father-in-law just passed away. So I got to grab all of her stuff and throw it in the cargo trailer and bring it to my house. Cause she's So I figured, well, if I got to go get my mother-in-law's stuff, I may as well bring it on down. All right. I love that hunt. That that was so much fun last year. I can't wait to go back. I, I don't know what you can do in January that is more fun than leaving the freezing cold of the north and going to southern Arizona with all that public land, most of it either leftover tags or over the counter, and just hunt whatever your stomach is hungry for. Yeah. I, I, I don't I really don't know. This year uh, we have David Brinker coming with us again. Brian Call of the Gritty Bowman again. Keith Balford from the Boone and Crockett Club. Uh, and uh, Arizona did this survey of who were influencers. of. So they surveyed a big part of their non-resident audience. And the Hush guys were pretty high up that list. And so I'm not sure which of them are coming. But I talked to Brian the other day, and he said at least one or two of them will be there. 
So I told a bunch of those folks, bring your tents because we don't have a big enough house for everybody. <laughs> Camera guys <laughs> sleep outside. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we're doing it before SHOT Show this year so that everybody doesn't show up with the Safe. SHOT Show flu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was I thought a... Brinker and Soholt were going to die last year. <laughs> oh, Man, God. they were bad. Well, Brinker, we had to take him to Tucson so he could fly home. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, that's fun. I I can't wait. It is, it is going to be a blast. And Dan isn't going to get to join us because he and his wife are having a baby, so we've got to keep him cl- on a tether close to home here. And <laughs> so, but it's what happens, you know. You're going to miss out on the fun, and not our fault. We just got to find a chef because Hank can't make it this year. So either we don't have a, a renowned wild game cook, and every day is an experiment. I was just thinking we should. We should plan it out. If we have a chef or whoever come, we can plan that out. What meals they'll cook, mm-hmm. but any gaps in it, we should we can pick up amongst right. ourselves. Like yeah. I'm happy to take a day or two, and all this mm-hmm. I'm responsible for dinner, and I'll cook dinner. Whatever we've killed, I'll mm-hmm. grab it, make something out of it. All right, yeah. I, I wanna, think that'd be fun. There's bluegills in that lake down there. I want to go bluegill fishing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I told the. The Jonathan, I think Jonathan Odell. I hope Jonathan comes with that Sand Hill crane, crane bacon. Ba- bacon that he made. That's so good. <laughs> it's I like the call easiest him. recipe in the world, too. Yeah. I He's need to call him. Hey, Jonathan, you need to show up and you need to bring a bunch more of those Sand Hill cranes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we need, we should go shoot some geese here before too long and make our own bacon. Well, let's Honker. do that. There's a, right behind the office here. There's about a thousand of them in the field right yeah, over yeah, here. Yeah, figure out who owns that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's now in city limits, yeah. so you uh, can't shoot there, which is why all the geese congregate there now. They know it's a safe place. Shoot them with place. a bow. Is that legal in Montana? I don't know. I don't think you're supposed to in city limits, actually. Yeah. Okay. This is a bummer. Yeah, but no, that there's just so many great things to eat while we're there. I just yeah, it's gonna be fun. I it's the one time I hunt with my stomach more than any. Uh, You're gonna get a Sonoran Dick Dick this year. I <laughs> hope so. <laughs> Love that. that. That's that's my that's goal. Like, like I think if, there, if there's like a three point and their Dick Dick standing there next to each I'm other, I'm shooting the Dick Dick. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Last year we got close to that one, Marcus. You and I. And no, there was a four by four. So I was thinking, oh, I got to go for the four by four. I bet you if we would have snuck down. I would have got a shot at that Dick Dick. <laughs> he was inch and a half long. How do you spell Dick Dick? D I K D I K. I think so. That <laughs> people got to be wondering what am I talking about? Google but, it, yeah. So, <laughs> right here, a Dick Dick. D I K hyphen D I K. It says a Dick Dick is the name for any of four species of small antelope. Oh, they're an antelope, not a deer. Uh, that live in the bushlands of eastern and southern Africa. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought that was Africa. Oh, well, yeah, but this is the Sonoran dick. <laughs> wow. They can run up to 26 miles an hour. Their size is up to 11 pounds. Hmm. Wow. Uh, this is going to be a world record dick dick. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would bet that a small year-and-a-half-old coos deer weighs at least 60 pounds. Yeah, they're pretty small though. They are those deer are just yeah. they're tiny. Yeah. No, I right here it is. I, I'm 
I'm looking for a Sonoran Dick Dick. We're going to start a new uh, classification. <laughs> I might just have to shoot one with a rifle when I'm down there. Yeah, you get, well, see, this is, I've been doing this archery thing now, and Marcus said, heck with it, he's going rifle hunting. <laughs> so next month, he's going rifle earlier. hunting down there. They won't be rutting yet. Yeah, but still, with a rifle. Yeah, if I can find one. You'll find one. Yeah, you and Wade will find one. Wade told me you guys will be done in a day, and then you're going quail hunting. That's the plan. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's quail a, fest. You is see, it, Marcus, he's just like, well, that's a plan. Just because <laughs> complete serious as can be. Like, well, yeah, you think I'm going down there screwing around? <laughs> uh, quail fest this year, apparently, I, or second annual. Oh, yeah? Go. Where at? Sonoida? Sonoida, yeah. Sonoida, Arizona. Second annual quail fest? I believe so. I don't, I'm don't. i not positive on that, but okay. we're going to go. Cool. Wade says we're going, so we're really? going. Really? Yeah. That'll be fun. Huh. Well, I I know some people think we're joking about the dick dick thing, but these little coos deer bucks, when they're a year and a half old, they have an antler about an inch, inch and a half. And I don't know if there's some rule that to be considered a buck, it's got to have an antler over four inches or something. I probably ought to check that regulation before I shoot a dick dick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think in Montana it's four, four inches. Yeah, it's con yeah. it's not considered a buck unless it's four inches of. But it is from the pedicle too, or from below, from the base of the skull. So no, you get that extra the inch there. Oh, uh, okay. You got so uh, if you got three inches, you're pretty if, good. If people knew, <laughs> the the only downside about putting that on video is the just absolute fun and pleasure of it does not come across completely in video and maybe that's good because if so the people knew how much fun it was we'd have to buy our own rock to stand on down there there'd be so many people doing it yeah I, it is surprising like there's not we haven't run into that many other people no. doing it. any and any you just go to we just been going to like walmart <laughs> or whatever sporting goods store you buy the take and you just go yeah like you don't have to you just go buy the take and you go out yeah. and all of us pretty much already have our arizona license because we're applying for deer and elk and antelope and everything else in arizona so it's mm -hmm. just the cost to get there and whether or not your body can tolerate having that much fun <laughs> i mean <laughs> most of the time you, you gotta violate some principle to have that that <laughs> much fun day after day after day and the weather's nice I've yet to shovel any snow while we're down there. Uh, yeah. I haven't had to plug in the block heater on the truck when we're down there. <laughs> Usually we can sit out on the porch until 8 or 9 at night. It's nice and cool. Listen to the quail call. Yeah. I'm excited. It'll be Yeah. nice little break from winter yeah. for a week. Yeah, last year we hit Arizona pretty hard with the elk hunting and deer hunting with rifle. This year we're hitting the the deer, the coos deer hunting hard. You're going with a rifle, then we're going with a bow. Yep. Antelope jackrabbits. I wonder if anyone's ever taken one with a bow. I'm sure they have, but I wonder if Jim Heffelfinger will be able to join us. Oh, that would be fun. Jackrabbit Jim. Yeah. Yeah. I. Oh, I got to get you the, his book. I already got it. Oh, you did? He sent me a copy. Oh, he sent you a copy? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I was kind of thumbing through it. I'm thinking, you know, every coos deer hunter needs this book. It's yeah. called, what, Deer of the Southwest? Yep. 
by Jim Heffelfinger. Yep, sitting on my counter right now. Okay. Looking through it. Yeah, if you're a coos deer hunter or hunt southwest mule deer, Jim is the expert. He said he'd be willing to help you guys. I might have to hit him up. I would. See what he's doing, yeah. Yeah. See if he's really just saying that you know how it is people are like oh yeah i'll give you a hand and then when it, when it gets close to season no one will pick up their phone <laughs> <laughs> see see if he's one of those guys but well guys this is a pretty good update mid-season we're all smiling we got through the stupid election season yeah. now it's nothing but great fun but our freezers are filling up we've had some great hunts now we just got to close out the year with more fun and more adventure. You know what I'm looking forward to in February? Muskrat trapping. All right. We're going to go in. Or this time when we go to it, I want to show, I want more clips of how bad these banks are being ruined by these muskrats. Actually, just get right down in the water and show. And if we got those stealth cam things we're talking about, I bet you we could set some up there and we could show at night these muskrats eating these roots from the bottom. Right at the water line, they they come in at the water line and they scratch because the ground's frozen except by the water line. And so they scratch the mud away and they start eating the roots from the bottom. Hmm. And they create these great big benches right at water level. And then as, when the water level rises in the spring, the bank sloughs down. And so the amount of erosion they're causing is crazy, hmm. which hurts the fish, hurts the ducks, hurts... so. It's been two years now since we've been after the muskrats. The scrats are in big trouble come <laughs> February. You guys should start sizing yourselves for gloves and hats because we're we're going on a mission. There's If you're a scrat in the Gallatin Valley of Montana, you're going to end up on the Traeger, and your hide is going to end up at the tannery. <laughs> That's I think we what we should do is if you get a good bunch of them, you mm -hmm. should just try a big old uh dutch oven of them just braise them for a long time i bet that's really? how we can make them taste really what, good what if you gutted them took all the entrails out and stuffed them with something maybe i'm thinking what hank did with the kawada monday yeah exact same thing with okay. the muskrat i bet you that'd be really good yeah head on head off well we whole body we quartered it but you could you could do the same thing i mean it'd be easier to braise probably if you quartered it okay and stuff but okay yeah I saw a recipe one of my trapping buddies sent me a picture the other day. He caught some beaver. Yeah. And he took everything out of the cavity, like he would uh, you know, a rabbit or something, and he baked that thing, stuffed. Stuffed with what? Just, like, Just stuffed. You know, whatever you'd, you'd <laughs> stuff. Stuffing, onions. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Apples, onions, whatever. Yeah, whatever you'd stuff any kind of animal with. Uh it looked really good. I couldn't smell it through my phone, but it looked, it looked really good. good. Yeah, so. that's all that matters, right? Yeah. I'm, I know. It's like every other year I get this bug to go out there and do a little bit of animal damage control. <laughs> it's kind of crazy when you think about it. The North American continent was almost depleted of fur because of the fashion crazes back in the 18 and early 1900s. Yeah. And now... Beaver and muskrats are a nuisance of the highest degree. <laughs> we we went from scarcity to recovery to nuisance. I'm excited. 
I, I wish I I should go get my Connor Bears out right now. <laughs> but is good. there a season? Can you do it this year round? Muskrat trapping? Uh, no. Yeah, uh, the season, season closes May first or May fifteenth. It starts November first. Oh, okay. I think muskrat and beaver are the same. You can do November first. I should look at this because it it changed a few quite a few years back and I might still have the old dates in my head, but I think it's November 1st to May 1st or May 15th, something like that. But, oh, yeah, there's going to be more scrats and beaver laying around here. And hope you guys like beaver and scrats. (laughs) Michael's over there like, oh, yeah. I want to make one of those hats. I got one. All right. I, I, I have about seven or eight frozen beaver hides in my freezer right now. Are they, I, are they pretty difficult to make? make? I mean, can well, I, pay I, somebody, I could probably you, pay somebody to make it. Oh, yeah. You're going to make it yourself. Yeah. Well, Why you'd, not? Well, you'd have to do. <laughs> so I skinned them. So you'd have to stretch them. And, well, you'd have to flesh them and then stretch them to get them dried, then tan them, and then cut them into whatever pieces you're going to use for your garment, and then sew it together. Or you call Fox Fur USA in Duluth, Minnesota, and you just send them to them, and they do all that. Gotcha. And you yeah, say, okay, I got a cassava melon that is seven and three quarter. Here it comes. Nice. <laughs> they know which pieces look the best. My wife loves loves it when I wear my beaver fur hat. <laughs> in the mor- in the when we go get coffee on the weekend mornings when it's really cold in January, it's like, are you gonna wear your fur? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I do. I go I go into the coffee shop. I'm all decked out. I got beaver fur mittens just about up to my elbow. I got my mad bomber beaver hat on. <laughs> A lot of people come up, is that real? Yeah. Can I touch it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, no, if we get a bunch of beaver, you guys in muskrats. I got a muskrat hat. I got muskrat mittens. I got a muskrat muff. I, I got everything. <laughs> I'm running out of things to make, though. So you guys are going to have to step it up. All right. Maybe maybe if we catch enough scrats and beaver, I'll get Mad Bomber hats made for everybody. Ooh. That'd be sweet. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be the styling crew, uh, wouldn't we? Right. That'd but, be sweet. All right. That was a diversion that the audience <laughs> probably really didn't want to hear about. But it's that time of year. When hunting season is going to wind down, and then we're going to be sitting here twiddling our thumbs, wondering, now what do we do? Oh, there's skiing, ice fishing. There's ice fishing. I don't do skiing. Yeah, there's predator hunting. I I don't do the skiing thing, though. Yeah. I I value my knees and hips and other stuff too much for for hunting. Well, this this weekend we went ski hunting. I t- I ski, ski t- hunting. I ski Tell t- me what that is. <laughs> is that like biathlon? Yeah, well, we just, you have like backcountry skis that you can put skins on. Yeah. And go uphill. Yeah. We use that as our mode of transportation to yeah. go hunting. It's and then when you're done hunting, at the end of the day, you just yeah. ski right back down to the truck. That's it's pretty slick. Tactic. We didn't see any animals. Oh, well, there you go. But huh. we did have the, the joy of skiing at the end of the day. So. Huh. That was nice. Heck yeah, man. That's awesome. I don't know. I've I've just seen way too many skiers that by springtime are walking around with knee braces 
saying, boy, I sure hope that my knee's in shape before hunting season gets here. Not me. (laughs) There's there's not a chance. But somewhere along the way, uh, we got to get my Uncle Jim and Jerry Stickler, Jerry Stickler, Uncle Jim Stickler and Jerry Pritchard together so we can do the Mexico jail (laughs) podcast. Yeah. Almost every time we put a podcast on our YouTube channel, some people will comment, when's the Mexican Escape from Mexican Jail podcast yeah, going to be happen. there? So be funny. Maybe we just need to do it as a live podcast. <laughs> because if they heard Jimmer laugh, it'd be worth the price of their admission just to, <laughs> to hear him carry on and cackle and laughing. Uh. So I'll try to get that one on the schedule, too. We 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 got to think about guests. Maybe we need some serious trapper guest. Who would, who would I have we no get? Idea who that would be. That's you. From, yeah. Maybe we should get Marty from Mountain Man. Get I have no idea what that yeah. is. I don't know. <laughs> <on TV. laughs> <laughs> well, Mountain Man is produced by Warm Springs right, Productions. I do know that. But. And Warm Springs, for the audience, if you watch the movie Mountain Man on History Channel, it's produced by the same group of guys who produced our show for six years. And uh, so... Uh, they always tell me, you and Marty need to get together. <laughs> uh, Marty's probably like, why would I want to go hang out with that knucklehead from Montana? But anyhow, he's a pretty serious trapper. Uh, of course, the, the, whenever you introduce the trapping aspect, you get flamed with all the hate mail and everything else. But that implies I care. <laughs> I don't. Trapping is as legit as hunting and fishing and everything else, but... All right, I'm about ready to diverge us here into something that's really going to be bad. So, ladies, gentlemen, go out, hunt. I hope your seasons are still open. If they're not, I hope your freezer's full. Really appreciate you all listening. And uh, thanks for the sponsors that make this possible. We hope that you will support them because they're out there supporting you. Good luck out there.